Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show, after price cuts, Tesla's profits will be a hot topic for Q1 earnings. SCOTUS turns away GM's bid to revive its lawsuit against Fiat Chrysler. And we've got a couple of big model unveilings from VW and Lincoln. Plus, what do you learn from buying more than 140 cars for testing? Mike Quincy of Consumer Reports knows. I'll contact my salesperson. I'll say just a couple things about today. Yes, I'm still buying the car. However, I'm from Consumer Reports. This is going to be a test car. Usually, they're like, oh, that's cool. Occasionally, my salesperson, you can almost you know, like hear the cardiac event happening <laughs> in their chat. It's like, ah, ah, and I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. We're not, we're not judging you or anything. It's cool. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Tesla has been cutting prices this year to bolster sales of its aging EVs, but that has also likely reduced its industry-leading profit margins. The volume-over-profit approach will be the major focus of its first-quarter earnings report on Wednesday. According to Cox Automotive, the EV maker likely sold more than 160,000 vehicles in the U.S. in the January-March period. That represents a 25% increase compared with a year earlier, but far below CEO Elon Musk's 50% global growth target. Tesla doesn't break out U.S. sales, but reported global deliveries of 422,000 for the first quarter, a 4.2% increase compared with the previous quarter. That increase suggests that price cuts were necessary to maintain growth amid rising EV competition. At the same time, Tesla is expected to report auto gross margin of 23% after the market close on Wednesday. That's according to a visible alpha survey of market analysis. A year earlier, Reuters says Tesla reported a 33% gross margin. Smaller profits aren't a surprise. It was pretty clear that was going to happen after price cuts of up to 20% on some versions of Tesla's best-selling Model Y crossover in the U.S., Tesla has also cut prices in Asia, Europe, and the Middle East to bolster sales this year. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday declined to hear a bid by General Motors to revive its racketeering lawsuit against rival automaker Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, which is now part of Stellantis. GM appealed a lower court's decision to dismiss the lawsuit that accused Fiat Chrysler of bribing UAW officials in a bid to undermine GM, and pressure the Detroit-based automaker into a merger with FCA. Justices on the Supreme Court turned the appeal away. A federal judge in Michigan dismissed the lawsuit in 2020, saying the injuries that GM claimed were not legally caused by FCA's conduct. The Cincinnati-based 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals agreed in the ruling last August. GM sought an estimated $6 billion in damages in the case. Volkswagen's new global flagship EV sedan, the ID7, promises to be the German brand's most efficient vehicle ever. VW says it will have a more competitive range, an extremely aerodynamic shape, and an interior packed full of innovative successors to currently popular analog equipment. The automaker unveiled the ID7 on Monday during concurrent events in Europe, China, and New York. VW product manager Jeffrey Lear helped debut the model in New York. As you can see, the ID7 is a sleek, fastback sedan that's all about aerodynamics, which helps range and performance. 
It has a premium interior that's fully packed with tech. The ID7 is due to arrive in Europe and China this year and temporarily known as the ID Aero. A VW spokesperson confirmed that a version will be exported from Germany to U.S. dealerships in 2024 as a 2025 model year vehicle. And Lincoln will, for the first time, import a vehicle to its home market from outside North America. The redesigned 2024 Nautilus crossover goes on sale early next year. It will be the first Lincoln sold in the U.S. that's manufactured in China. The vehicle had been built in Ontario for the North American market, but Ford is retooling the Oakville assembly plant in Ontario to produce electric vehicles. Lincoln President Diane Craig tells Automotive News that the decision was made with manufacturing efficiency in mind. We've had an unwavering support you know, in the United States to auto manufacturing. So again, in this case, it just made business sense for us. And, you know, I think the product's gonna be phenomenal and customers will love it. Lincoln North America Director Michael Sprague says the new Nautilus is a game changer for the brand. I think this puts us on the map for the, the customers who haven't considered us in the past. The growth is going to be there. 40 to 45% of the mid-size premium luxury is makes up that. We're a 2% player right now. Do the math. It's a huge opportunity. The 2024 Nautilus will start at just under $52,000. That's up from about $47,000 from the current base model. And those are today's headlines coming up. Our guest today has gone through the entire buying process more than 140 times to get test vehicles for Consumer Reports. Mike Quincy joins us next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift, a podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Mike Quincy has a unique job in the auto world. He writes automotive articles for Consumer Reports Magazine and CR.org. He also participates in the hands-on testing of all cars. But maybe what gives him the most interesting insights into the state of the auto industry, he also has purchased more than 140 cars for the CR test program. Mike Quincy spoke with Jamie recently about those experiences, what they've taught him, and how the process has changed since COVID transformed everything. Mike Quincy, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks so much for having me. So your work at Consumer Reports includes buying cars for testing. And I know you need to keep your identity uh, secret, I think, in order to make sure, you know, you're getting getting a price that any regular consumer might get. But how does all that work? Well, it really starts out by us looking at the market and being on top of what new models are being introduced for the new model year and even existing models that get a, a big redesign or a, or a significant enough refresh that it requires us to retest it. And we go through and we actually contact the manufacturer and say, what is the, 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 the highest take rate of a trim line and what options do you think most people are going to buy? Just to get an idea that when Consumer Reports buys a car, it's going to represent what what most people buy. We're not going to get some esoteric 
trim line that that you know less than two percent of of a particular car are going to buy. So we'll definitely hit kind of that middle sweet spot, and and then we kind of assign who's going to buy what car. And uh, what basically I do is I keep a spreadsheet of all the dealers that I've gone to, whether it's Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. I think I even bought one in North Carolina once. But I, I want to keep a track of the dealers so I don't keep going back to the same ones. You got to spread the love around, as they say. And uh, and I will go to the the general website, whether it's you know Toyota, Honda, Ford, whatever, and configure the car with the trims and the trim lines that we want. And I'll send the configuration to three or four um, you know sort of newish dealers that I haven't bought a car from in, in a little while. And I give them a non-work email address. Uh, they have my cell. I give them my cell phone, which is fine. And then I wait for them to respond. And and you know most times there's an automatic response because that's usually what happens. But then you're kind of waiting for the the personalized response from either the internet sales manager or the regular salesperson that you're that they're going to see through the process through. That's kind of it in in how the process goes. How what's the response like? Do half of them respond to you within a day or, or half a day? I, I would say probably more than half, but it is a, it is shocking how many dealers don't respond at all. And I keep and I keep copious notes on it because it's like I'm reaching out to you. I guess what they call it in the biz a hot lead, or well, maybe they don't know if I'm a hot lead or not. But but anyway, I'm saying I'm interested in buying this car, and and what do you have? And and there always seems to be a disconnect between when you're on say. Uh, Mazda's configurator, and you send the configuration to the dealer. The dealer contacts you. He's like, "So, what are you interested?" And you have to go through the process again. It, it's almost like you know the, the preference is what I what I what I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm I'm picking Mazda out of a hat. I'm, I'm not saying they right. do or they every do brand. Do. Is gonna be it's just that. it's just kind of hypothetical. But why if I configure the car that you don't even know what I'm interested in? That's always been kind of weird to me. But and one of the best things that dealers can do. And, and this has been obviously tough during COVID, but before COVID, you know, it, it, the dealer really needs to keep their their live inventory up to date. So, so to, 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 to clearly say this car is in stock or we, we think we're, we're, one is in transit, for example, that just gives the buyer an idea of, of how to manage expectations. Oh, they've got this one and, you know, we, we can probably make a deal with it right away. Um, or I know that that one is coming up since COVID inventories as you know and all of your listeners know in inventory at a new car dealers is really tough it's never ever been harder to to buy cars and i've been at it since 2001 do you find in terms of the responsiveness to those uh internet leads are dealers getting better are they getting a little more responsive over time or was it did was it a lot different during covid i think it was a, it was a lot different before covid because there was more inventory. The competition seemed to be much more keen. Now with very low inventory, the dealers, if they respond, they say, uh, I get what you're looking for. I don't have any. I don't think I'm going to get any. So give us your name and we'll be in touch. You know, those, I had a, just a horrific experience during COVID trying to buy a Lexus LX, their top of the line SUV. And it was it was you know brand new redesigned. That Toyota doesn't have the Land Cruiser anymore, so you want a high end Toyota big SUV, you got to go for the Lexus. It was really nice, and and so I was assigned to buy this car, and I contacted a whole bunch of dealers, and they said, yeah yeah we don't we don't we don't have anything. We probably won't have anything for about six months, 
And if you want to get on a waiting list right now, we're going to be charging 15,000 over MSRP. Other dealers said 20. One dealer said 60,000 over MSRP. And they have the car, a whole bunch of people want it. And they're basically saying, you got two options. You can take it or you can leave it. And that's like you're talking to your kids at dinner time. It was just so disheartening to, to see what a markup it is. And, and I, I'm not an, an expert in, in, in dealership uh, uh, laws, franchise laws. And this is maybe the downside of capitalism. I mean, hey, it's what the market will bear, right? My friends in Canada say that they don't, they don't do that. I mean, yes, it is what the market will bear. The weight uh, on that vehicle became so long and the pricing was so outrageous the road test manager says, we're not, we're not going to buy this one. Just let's, let's forget it. Let's move on. We'll, we'll try to find something else. Yeah. We just saw another study recently is uh, this week talking about when people do end up buying, paying more than the sticker price, they often will do so, so grudgingly. Uh, they, they carry a grudge and they're like, I don't want to buy this brand again. I don't want to go to this dealership again. I don't even want to go there for service and warranty work. I couldn't agree with you more. And and a couple of the dealers that I have worked with since COVID, I said, listen, you guys, you are, you are just doing an incredible money grab right now. So there's short-term thinking, there's long-term thinking. You guys aren't thinking long-term at all. You're just thinking, oh, there's hardly an inventory. We're going to we're gonna add it up. We're just going to mark everything up. I mean, Consumer Reports really, me personally, I, I really took it as a sense of pride before COVID that I never spent over MSRP for a test car. And, you know, the, the negotiations were usually pretty simple. I like, okay, you know, the, the, the sticker price and you have your cost, what's the number in between? And listen, I think dealers should make money. Uh, you know, they're in business to, to, to make a profit. They're not, they're not doing a charity thing. You know, the question is, is just is how much? You know, I guess it be, before COVID, I, I either paid sticker or a little bit below. But since COVID, there's like no negotiations at all. They, they just said, this is the sticker. And we've had actually wound up having to pay over sticker for some cars. But, you know, we, we got to keep feeding the Consumer Reports test program. And, you know, I, I, I don't operate in a vacuum. I talked to my boss and he's like, well, you got to do what you got to do. And, and we got to shell out a, a couple more bucks to get this car so we can keep the test program going. That's what we got to do. So it's not just the anonymity of you as the shopper. There's also, there are some interesting wrinkles because you are buying on behalf of a nonprofit. What happens when you actually show up at the store, when you've maybe worked it out with the online sales manager, the internet salesperson, you know, what you're going to buy and, and what the price is or close to what the price is. What, what happens when you show up? Once, you know, we've established that the car is in stock and we get a purchase order, we, we set a date to, to take delivery. And the morning of that date, I'll contact my salesperson and I'll say, just a couple things about today. Yes, I'm still buying the car. However, I'm from Consumer Reports. This is going to be a test car. And in the state of Connecticut, and I can't speak for other states, but but we're a nonprofit organization, which means we're tax exempt. So that's going to definitely change the amount that we bring on the check or you know what you need a bank check or certified check, whatever you want. Usually they're like, oh, that's cool. Occasionally, my salesperson, you can almost you know, like hear the cardiac event happening <laughs> in their chest. Like, ah, ah, and I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. We're not, we're not judging you or anything. It's cool. Just, just so you know. And and, and I, I send over all the paperwork. It's not going to be registered to me. It's going to be registered Consumer Reports. And there's a, you know, there's a certain town that we live in, and and all this stuff, and and a copy of the insurance card, and all the whole rigmarole that that most car buyers go through. Except we're not paying sales tax. When I show up. 
uh, usually again, they're like, oh, you know, tell us, tell us about what you do. And, and, and the number one question I'm asked is what do you do with the test cars when you're done with them? You sell them, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually we, what, what we do at first is we put them up for sale for all the people that work for consumer reports and between the home office and the track and the advocacy offices, there's about four or 500 people. And usually we can find someone there. If we can't find a buyer, we might trade it in on a new test car. And, and sometimes we, we wholesale it out. We, we have, I think we've even got some, some good pricing from, from like CarMax and stuff like that. And we'll, sometimes they'll show up with a carrier and just take a bunch all at once. You also uh, don't take any of the F&I products, right? And that's, that's true. Uh, you know, funny story. I, I had to buy, uh, let's just call it a high-end Japanese uh, luxury car. And I found a dealer that had what we had in stock and worked out the deal. And the day of delivery, they know I'm from Consumer Reports because I just went through the routine that I just described. And I said to my salesperson, oh, you know, the, the paperwork person will be with you in just a minute. And so I was sitting there talking to him and I said, uh, just so you know, we're not going to buy any of the stuff that you're going to try to sell. We're not going to do the extended warranty. We're not going to do the paint sealant. We're not going to do the fabric protection, extra rough. We're not going to do any of it. So please, I'm, you know, please don't put me in front of this person's desk. And the sales was like, it's okay. No, no problem. No problem. No problem. So they usher me into an office. I sit down. The first thing I hear, you got to have paint sealant. You, 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 you crazy? You, you got to have fabric. You got to, I mean, you can't, you can't. Yeah. And, and I, and I just, I, my eyes just bugged out and I said, Oh my gosh, I, I, I just said I, I, I'm not going to buy any of this. You guys know I'm from Consumer Reports. You're doing the hard sell. And this is why people hate buying cars. And I stood up and I started walking out. And the salesperson, I mean, the sales manager practically tackled me and, and said, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And I just looked at him and I repeated this thing. This is why people would rather go to the dentist than buy a car. And, and Jamie, honestly, all this kind of breaks my heart. Because buying a new car is exciting. I mean, it's brand new. The tires have all the little like whiskers on them. The, the <laughs> seat, the interior smells good. I mean, your kid hasn't, you know, spilled a milkshake down the center console. Uh, new cars are super, super exciting. I love the whole idea of it. Um, so that's why you can't call it stereotypes, right? I mean, there's just too many stories of of having of people having lousy sales experiences. And that, that's why it kind of depresses me. So what as as a, as we wrap up here, you know, what would be the key takeaway? What do you want dealers to learn? What should they try to change? You know, given that look, they're in business to make money, they're capitalists, uh, but how can they make selling cars better for consumers in a way that doesn't, you know, tie their hands or turn them into a charity? Sure. And and and, and a caveat, like I mean, I mean, I have to 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 tell you, the majority of the cars that I bought for the test program have gone very smoothly. I'm telling you a few horror stories. They definitely have not all gone that way. The, the the salespeople and the store owners that I met, most of them are just nice, hardworking, honest people. Uh, but you know, but to, but to answer your question, I think if people can write the number on the check for the car and they don't feel like they're being taken to the cleaners, that's awesome. In a perfect world, when when inventory levels are kind of you know we say normal, maybe they'll get back to it. But, but I mean, the profit margins and some of the extras that we're talking about that the FNI guy will push on you, that, that they make the dealers a lot of money. But, but I think it's in people's best interest to understand that the factory rust proofing is really good. You don't need it. 
Uh, you don't need anything extra. You don't need nitro in your tires that they're going to charge you a whole. You don't need any of that stuff. And we talk about this in Consumer Reports, the stuff that you shouldn't buy. But but I think it would be a simpler process for the salesperson to say, I just want you to know, we have this stuff if you'd like it. And the buyer should say, you know, no, thank you. And we're done. Mike Quincy, thank you so much for sharing your lessons and your wisdom. Uh, Mike is an automotive writer with Consumer Reports who has bought 165 new vehicles for the magazine in this century. Thanks again for joining us, Mike. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, and for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news reporters Michael Martinez, Larry Valquette, and Lawrence Iliff for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a deeper dive into Cruise's big plans for expansion and what one automotive news reporter experienced in one of the company's robo-taxis. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.